you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Dan Matson, founder of the Lucasfilm Fan Club and Star Wars Insider. Whether talking about the early days of the magazine, his cameo in The Phantom Menace, or the start of Star Wars Celebration, Mr. Madsen's love of the fan community and his passion for projects like her universe is evident in every answer. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 63, Dan Madsen. yesterday with a, a fellow Star Wars fan and, and podcaster where these original insiders especially are like kind of at least my like first introduction into that larger world of the behind the scenes and the learning about the people that actually made the movies so oh, that's cool so it really is kind of a, an honor to talk to you so I appreciate it thank you so much well that was kind of what there was before the internet you know right. I mean there wasn't a place to find out all that stuff so there was the insider to do that so uh it was an interesting time putting the magazine out right at that time yeah it was kind of the, the wild west and i'd love to just start at the very beginning which is your roots in the, in the star trek fan community first yeah. uh what kind of led you to that passion and to wanting to make your own zine and then turning it into something that's actually official well i was um about 14 years old i was uh uh and for those who uh, who are listening to this and don't know that I'm a little person. I only stand about four foot, two inches tall. I was walking home from school one day, middle school, and there was a couple of kids making fun of me and calling me shorty and teasing me and such. And so it kind of made me feel bad. And I walked in the door of my house and uh, my brother was sitting there watching TV. I'd never bothered to watch Star Trek, but he happened to be watching Star Trek. He liked to watch it when he'd come home from after school. So I decided, what the heck, I'd sit down and uh, watch Star Trek with him that day. Um, and it uh, just so happened to be that on that, epi- on that day, uh, an episode called Plato's Stepchildren was running and it uh, had a little person on it. He was sitting there asking Captain Kirk, you know, he's like, what is it where you, where you come from? Because where he was living was not a very good place. Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, I still remember I was just, you know, it was fate that I would watch that episode on that day. And uh, Kirk looked at him and said, Alexander, where I come from, size, shape or color makes no difference. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my gosh. After the experience I just had walking home from school, I thought, what an amazing place that would be to live. And at the end of the episode, Alexander gets to beam up to the Enterprise with uh, Kirk and Spock and McCoy. And uh-huh. I was infatuated at that point with Star Trek. I thought, I, I love this show. And so I started watching it every day and became a huge Star Trek fan and went to conventions and, and uh, plastered my walls with pictures and posters. And uh, and then it was about the time uh, in 1979 when Star Trek, the motion picture came out. I decided to start my own my own fanzine, um, kind of based around that first movie. To make a long story short, I did it for several years, got a job in a print shop, made it look pretty pretty slick and fancy, and uh, Paramount Pictures got a hold of it and said, hey, do you know you're doing this without a license? And I said, uh, well, I'm just a kid doing it for fun because I, I love Star Trek. And they said, well, actually, you have the right amount of professionalism mixed with the right amount of fanaticism that we've been looking for. <laughs> and uh, why don't we fly you out here to the studio and let's talk about making you the official. And they said, okay, that sounds pretty cool. So I flew out there, we struck a deal, 
And I started running the official Star Trek fan club, and it just developed over the years with all the, the new Star Trek movies coming out at that time, you know, the Wrath of Khan and then the Search for Spock and on and on. And, and uh, yeah, it was a great experience because I got to meet all my heroes <laughs> and got to know them and got to uh, build a business that, to make a living around something that I had been absolutely passionate about for most of my, uh, my, my I say, my teenage years into my young adult years. Uh, it's incredible, really. And then it kind of was part of this burgeoning fan community and really the, the zine aspect of every, everything really kind of developed from there. And I mean, I love uh, the original Bantha tracks, of course, but oh, then yeah. the Star Wars, the Lucasfilm fan club obviously was, was no more after Return of the Jedi kind of wrapped things up. Right. What was then that, that impetus? When did you first get contacted by Lucasfilm and, and how did that kind of then take off uh, from there? Well, it's interesting you should say Bantha tracks because when I was 14 years old, around that time, uh, I uh, I went crazy when I saw Star Wars, and um, I, subsc- I I joined the official Star Wars fan club, and I remember getting the Bantha Tracks newsletter and just loving it. Um, and I was I remember thinking when I started the Star Trek fan club, I thought you know that's what Star Trek needs is something official that really looks cool, and uh, you know like like that, and uh, that was kind of a, a bit of my inspiration, and. Um, after I had started the official Star Trek fan club and it was going for a while. And, uh, after Lucasfilm had closed down the Star Wars fan club, that's when I got a call from Howard Rothman, uh, head of licensing at Lucasfilm. And he said, you know, we've just closed this down and we've only run it in house up to this point, but you know, we really like what you're doing with Star Trek. Would you be interested in doing the same thing for us for Star Wars and Lucasfilm? And I said, uh, absolutely. I love Star Wars. <laughs> So I flew out to Skywalker Ranch and I got to get a whole tour of the ranch and meet with Howard and got to meet George Lucas. And next thing you know, I got a license to do that. And we (laughs) kind of decided to, um, instead of calling it the official Star Wars fan club, to do the Lucasfilm fan club. Because at that point, Brandon, there was no no really assurance that George was going to get back to doing Star Wars again. And on the plate for Lucasfilm was Willow and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and so in order to be able to kind of cover all of the things that Lucasfilm was doing, uh, we named it the Lucasfilm Fan Club. And with the understanding that, you know, every issue I'd try to do something Star Wars in there to keep the, the you know, the Star Wars fans happy. And that's how we did it. And we started out with featuring coverage on Willow. And then we went into The Last Crusade and did all these other projects that Lucasfilm was working on uh, up until the first announcement of the prequels beginning. And at that point, that's when we decided to name the fan club Star Wars again and change the magazine to uh, the Star Wars Insider and, and really made the main focus now back to Star Wars. Especially of the time around special editions to the prequels where the Insider was really the place where I can't imagine getting that kind of information now for the Disney Star Wars films, but it was just like the set photos and the Rick McCallum columns and the casting announcements. Everything was in that Insider, and it really is kind of a fascinating look back at everything. What was that shift like for you then really focusing mostly on on the Star Wars properties kind of coming back to life starting with that special editions? And and was there anything maybe that you had to work on directly with Lucasfilm, or how did that kind of relationship work as these movies were being created? Well, that was pretty exciting, actually, because, you know, I mean, the buzz at that point was that Star Wars is coming back, and, uh, you know, fans had been waiting for so long and never really knowing whether George would ever get back to making Star Wars again. 
So the fact that there was going to be new Star Wars films um, was really exciting. And I don't think that period, you know, building up to the first prequel, there was the, the anticipation, the buzz, and the excitement. Uh, I don't believe will ever be matched. I don't care what time period for Star Wars there is coming down the pike. I still think that was the most exciting time to be a Star Wars fan because we'd really only had the three movies, you know, I mean, the Ewok adventures and such and the animated, but, you know, as far as major movies, that was it, you know, the three films. And so um, the fact we were going to get more was pretty doggone exciting. And uh, I got to uh, develop a friendship with Rick McCallum and he, agreed to do updates in every issue of the magazine with us so that we could kind of keep the fans abreast of what was happening. Um, and, um, you know, and then I got to fly out to Skywalker Ranch and go mm-hmm. into these secret rooms that required a special knock to get into them um, <laughs> to see all the, the artwork and the, the, the maquettes and sculptures of everything they were designing, you know, Doug Chang and some of the others that were working on the prequels at that time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this was all top, top secret, um, stuff that, uh, that nobody knew about. And I was getting a first glimpse of it, you know, to kind of behind the scenes to start kind of bringing myself up to speed about all of this. And then, uh, it was like pulling teeth though, to get them to release any images or photos or anything <laughs> for even the magazine at that point, because, uh, I can remember, you know, just begging them, you know, just give us something, give us a photo, give us something, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. And not the back of George's head. We need something more than that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, a character or a ship or a set or something that gives fans an idea of what this is going to look like, you know. And so, uh, it, it was always a, a a battle to try to get images released and stuff. But you know, we did. We got stuff released here and there. And then, uh, like I said, without the internet really being in, in force at that point. The Insider was really the place to kind of get all that information. Yeah, it really, I mean, again, looking through all of it again, just brought back all these, like, crazy sense memories of just even, like, the Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman headshots that you would just see over and over again from that time period of just, like, who are these people going to be and what's going to really happen? And I also, in that same lot, not only were there official insiders and and fan club magazines, but there was also some of the kind of cheapo... uh, just sci-fi magazines that weren't even Star oh, Wars yeah. quality, but that were just that were just like, here's what we think's gonna happen in Star Wars, and it was like a badly photoshopped <laughs> Boba Fett with blue armor. And it's funny seeing that difference of okay, this is what I know is real, and this is just the version of the message board internet in 1998 <laughs> or whatever it is. Uh, so that quality is is very funny to look at. Yeah, it is interesting. It's fun to go back to that time period and look at all that stuff and. It does bring back a flood of memories as to what was going on at that time. And uh, it was an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan because, as I said, I, I don't believe there'll ever be another time where the anticipation was so high. Even uh, the time period building up to The Force Awakens, um, while that was exciting, that still it still didn't match what was happening in those years prior to... Uh, um, the Phantom Menace opening. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, even before then, your set visits and your articles were always so insightful and so interesting. And, and one of the things that, that stands out to me, and you actually posted it on Facebook, and I didn't even like know about it, and I just immediately bought it, and I, I kind of poured through it, uh, which is the Making of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles book that you wrote. Of course, all that cast and crew went from Young Indy to then the prequels. What was your experience with Young Indy, and, and how was it going to those sets and kind of seeing what was 
what was happening there. Well, I was always an Indiana Jones fan, so I, I that was really pretty exciting to uh, to get to work on on that book. And it was a book for young readers, but it was really the only thing they ever released on the making of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And uh, it was fun to meet the cast and get to know them. And you're right; I mean, a lot of the people who worked on Young Indy went on to work on uh, the prequels for Star Wars, including Rick McCallum. And that's how I got to know Rick, in fact. Um, I met Rick working on um, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles in the book. I'd been um, hired to work on that for, I don't know, a year and a half. And so I'd met Rick initially on that, and that's how I got to really know him. And then uh, that's how we started working together on getting the uh, the prequel updates for the Insider magazine. But Young Indy, I think, was a great show. And uh, I know I talked to a lot of people today that says they ought to re-release those on DVD or Disney Plus ought to start airing those, you know, because, uh, you know, it, I think it was a show that, uh, while it wasn't, you know, as exciting as the Indiana Jones movies, I still think it was a show that didn't get as much recognition as it should have. and. Mm-hmm fans today who would love to rewatch the those episodes and i'm lobbying for disney plus to get those up there it seems like they ought to be on there somehow oh man that would be that'd be great because i have the three dvd little yeah. box sets that they made but i don't think that's even everything and they're kind of edited kind of weird and like, i think you would find so many more fans rediscovering it and watching it for the first time even which would be kind of a, a fun especially in the lead up to a potential indie five i think that'd be oh i i totally i totally agree with you brandon and i think you know there's a lot of kids out there you know it's kind of an educational series that taught you something yeah. about history because young indy would you know meet up with famous people all throughout you know through all these different uh episodes of his life you know i mean teddy roosevelt and mahatma gandhi and um mm-hmm. and on and on you know there were all these famous historical characters that kind of get woven into the different episodes of the show and it would teach you a little bit about history and what was happening during those time periods so um yeah, I think you know. I hold out hope that Disney Plus will will grab onto those somehow and and put them up there so that you know young people can watch them and those that, like us that are older that remember them and have the nostalgia can watch them again too because I I think it deserves to be seen again. Yeah, definitely. I would love to talk about your cameo in in Phantom Menace. What? How did that even happen? And and what was your experience on that day as the the Cadu handler for Phantom Menace? I was invited to come over and spend a week on the set to interview everybody for the Star Wars Insider over at Elstree Studios in London. So I was already planning on coming over there and just doing all my behind the scenes work. But then I got a call and said, would you like to have a, uh, would you like to be an extra in the film? And I said, (laughs) oh my God, of course, that would be awesome. (laughs) And so when I got over there um, to London, um, I had, uh, they, they took me into the wardrobe department and they measured me, you know, front to back, top to bottom. Um, and, uh, I don't know, it was several days later, you know, I mean, they had an entire Naboo costume made for me. I was going to be one of the citizens of Naboo in that last <laughs> final scene. Um, and it wasn't until the day of the first, the first day of shooting that the assistant director, I believe it was, pulled me out and said, you know, we want to give you a cameo. How would you like to come out here and, and run out and grab the reins of, of this thing we call a cadu out here in the middle of the the, the the street. And I said, that's awesome. I said, I have no <laughs> idea. What is a cadu? And he said, well, it's like a cross between a dinosaur and a chicken. And I, okay, all right. Well, I'll try to keep that in mind. So, um, so yeah, well, you know, I spent, you know, several, I spent the whole week in between filming the episode, I'm uh, filming the movie 
um, I was going off into the set and interviewing the cast and the crew. And a lot of these times I was sitting there interviewing them in my, co- my costume for star Wars, you know? And, um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that day of filming, um, you know, it didn't look anything. I mean, it looked something, but it didn't look nearly as cool as it does in the movie. I mean, all the right. Gungans walking down in the parade scene were guys in white jumpsuits. Um, there was no Cadu there. I was just told about how high to raise my hand. Um, George was directing that day. All the cast was up there on the steps, you know, up there watching, yeah. you know, in their costumes, just like you see in the film. But, uh, you know, with all the special effects added later, it look looking seen than the day that I was there. It uh, wasn't just a day, it was a, a week, and it turned into two weeks because I was prepared to leave at the end of that week, and then I got a, uh, I was asked to come into the production office, and they said, well, we didn't get all the shots we needed from that end parade scene because, uh, and unfortunately the weather is cloudy now. It was sunny that day. So we, we need you to stay a few more days because we have to refilm um, some of that stuff. And I said, okay, so I had to stay an extra week and then do that. I, you know, that whole scene with me just out there with that and all the other shots they got through that, you know, I probably worked three, four days working on, on That's that. Great. It, uh, it wasn't just, you know, a few hours on one day. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't even know if I was going to make the cut, to be quite frank. I thought, you know, well, that was cool, but I don't know if I'll have to be in the movie. Was at the first Star Wars celebration that I put on that uh, one of my good friends at Lucasfilm came up to me and said, Hey, we just got to see the first cut of the movie and you're in it. You made it. And I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> so I actually am in there. So, yeah, it was kind of a cool experience nothing i ever imagined that would happen to me when i was a 14 year old kid engrossed in the star wars film that you know i'd get to actually run out there on the screen in another star wars film that's the dream right that's great and i mean that is the dream you said it right it's like how how bad is it you had to say an extra few days on the star wars set and and, uh, yeah it's like oh okay twist my arm i guess i'll do it oh well (laughs) yeah yeah so that was pretty cool you know and the cool thing is you know these days i'm sure the sets are a lot different now but at then, I mean, even though there was all this top secret, you know, they trusted me and I was, I knew all the secrets, most of the secrets of the film. And I'd seen all this stuff before even going to the set. So, you know, I kind of got to just kind of wander around and walk and sit and look at things on my own as long as I didn't, you know, touch anything and break it, you know. So it was <laughs> right. kind of cool to just kind of, just kind of uh, sit back and watch everybody doing their jobs, you know, and as they were putting together the movie, it's kind of like, wow, you know, this is like a real intimate behind the scenes look at how things were, uh, were being done. And, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. You know, you go to the, to the, to lunch and everybody's in there eating at the cafeteria and they're all in their costumes. And there's little Jake Lloyd getting in trouble with his dad and his dad is <laughs> taking him out the door, you know, by his collar, you know, and he's kind of crying. I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> He just took Darth Vader out and gave him a whooping. What the, well, that's, that's kind yeah. of amazing, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience altogether. I love it. And you, you mentioned Star Wars Celebration, and you actually just did a really great interview with uh, Pete Futzer about starting that and making Celebration in Denver, that first one, happen. I'd love just a, a truncated version of that. What was it like kind of putting that groundwork to something that is now so beloved and so important to the Star Wars fan community? Well, it was pretty cool because um, we had been thinking about doing some sort of an event. And then I got a call from Steve Sansweet, who was working for Lucasfilm at that time. And he said, hey, you know, we've been talking about doing a fan event. And uh, 
we were thinking about, well, you know, who should do it? It made sense that, you know, well, a fan club should do it. That would be the best, you know, place. And I said, well, Steve, we've actually been talking about that as well. So he invited me and my team out to Skywalker Ranch and we all sit around the table in the main house there and started discussing what we wanted to do and what it would be called. And we, you know, came up with the fact that this should be a celebration and that name stuck. And, uh, uh, and so I, I went back home to Denver with my crew and we started talking about, you know, where should it be? You know, we threw out Los Angeles and Chicago and New York and um, Florida. And, you know, at that point I said, well, you know, Denver is my home. It's centrally located and it's where the fan club is. And I have a, I have an army of people that I can get that would be volunteers for the event. It seems like Denver is going to be the easiest place for me to put this thing on. And, so they agreed that, you know, let's do it in Denver then, you know. And so uh, I we tried to come up with a date that would work. We didn't have a lot of time. This was only a year before the event. And so a lot of the, I mean, like our big convention center was booked already for the date that they wanted to do it. And uh, and so I looked at a different date, and unfortunately it fell on Mother's Day, and they didn't want to do that. Um, they thought that would not be um, the perfect date to do the celebration. So I ended up not having any place to do it, but we found the wings of the Rockies Air and Space Museum, which is this really cool big hangar. Um, and we built these big tents outside to host the, the, the two main stages. Um, and we thought, you know, end of April, beginning of May, the weather's going to be gorgeous. Well, you know, this, will, this won't be a problem. And when I got these big <laughs> giant, what I, I can only just, uh, you know, one of my big questions are, are these waterproof? And they said, oh yeah, no, no problem. You know, but what we didn't realize is that on that one weekend that we would do the event, which a lot of it was kind of intense all outside of the big hangar, uh, we would have the worst rain in 100 years. And I mean, it rained for two solid days, pounding rain. It was a nightmare for a while. I was like, I cannot believe that this is happening. And if we'd had it in the convention center, it wouldn't have bothered us any in any way. But, you know, we had to deal with that. And so, um, yeah, it was, a, it, 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 it was a challenge. But, you know, it came off and it's uh, kind, of, kind of become known as kind of like the fans of Woodstock, you know, out there in the rain and mud enjoying Star Wars. And everybody was so excited by the fact that Star Wars was coming back and we were going to have some of the first footage from it. And all the actors and production people from the new movie were there. And um, we had the first uh, offering of Hasbro's new Star Wars action figures there. And so it was a pretty amazing, amazing event. And a lot of the groundwork for all the things that you see today um, in all of the celebrations was set down right then and there in 1999 here in Denver. And, uh, you know, now it's just done on a much larger, more professional scale um, and in a covered right. environment where nothing, the weather can affect it in any way. But, uh, yeah, it, it started there, and, and I've been to about five of the other Star, Star Wars celebrations now, and uh, I love them all. I was just in Chicago last year, and that I think that might have been one of the best I've ever been to. Yeah, I was I was lucky to be able to go to that one as well, and that one was especially special just because of the celebration of, of Phantom Menace twenty years later. And I think that for a movie that means so much to me and to a lot of Star Wars fans, that you know then back then maybe didn't feel as special to some people. Yeah, it is nice having that kind of warm feeling and sentiment around it now because I really do think it it deserves it. Well, I think there's a sense of nostalgia around it now. You know that movie set a lot of precedents not only from how George did the visual effects, but the marketing of it and everything. Um, you know it still has its critics it still has fans that 
you know, I, I see every day on Facebook fans, you know, there's a thing going around, you know, list your your favorite Star Wars films in order, you know, and I, I just yesterday I saw like two or three of them and there's the Phantom <laughs> Menace at the very bottom of the list, you know, their least favorite of all of them. But yeah, you know, it's still, I think as time goes on, it's gets people are starting to appreciate and loving it. And I still, I still say to this yeah. day, when it comes to the live action Star Wars, that I think the, some, the, one of the best, if not the best lightsaber battle will do was in Phantom Menace with uh, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul. I mean, that, that was just yeah. such an amazing, and then you add John Williams score to that. It's, that still gives me goosebumps when I watch that whole scene from the film. Definitely, definitely. Your work in the Star Wars fan club, in my mind too, the Insider, especially when I was leaping through them again, the thing that really stood out to me was the Jawa Trader. I just thought, it, like seeing all of that again, I just remember bucking my parents, especially like, can I buy this and this and this? And of course, never getting half of that. And now, now that I have disposable income, like <laughs> I just got the the terry brooks signed phantom menace novel right that was in that magazine oh so yeah many issues yeah what was it like putting together that collectible inventory and starting starwarshop.com for the first time and yeah. i read somewhere that you just had warehouses and warehouses of these collectibles by the end of your tenure with the inside we did i mean our main warehouse was about forty thousand square feet and it would just go on and on big aisle after aisle after aisle of you know racks with product all on it and i mean it looked like the end scene from raiders of the lost ark you know it just went on forever <laughs> and it was kind of like you know a star wars fans dream come true because we carried everything not only all of the licensed product that um was being produced for star wars and believe me at the time that and phantom menace came out there was a lot of star wars product coming out um but you know we we pre created a, a lot of exclusive product just for the fan club too so, I mean, you'd walk down these, these endless aisles and there'd be Star Wars beach towels and masks and all of the Hasbro action figures and, you know, model kits and on and on and on posters. And uh, it was just an amazing thing to do. And uh, um, then the Jawa Trader was a fun catalog to put together because, you know, we always would try to not only carry all of the latest product with the licensees, but we tried to, to do exclusive Stuff. And so we were always, I had a whole creative team that would sit around all the time and say, you know, what what can we do that's cool for the fans that's, that's exclusive to the fan club that is not being made out there, you know, to go into the stores and stuff. Yeah, we produced some pretty cool stuff and um, worked with a lot of Star Wars artists back then who were just starting and today are, are really, you know, well known in the Star Wars community that you see working, you know, doing these prints and stuff for the new celebrations and everything. But they, a lot of them started out with us doing stuff um, in Star Wars Insider. And then we worked with a lot of them too. When we did a, we did a magazine called Star Wars Kids for about a year. And it was a, a, a kid's magazine. Yep. And uh, we did a lot of art with um, some really amazing artists back then that uh, now are pretty well known in the Star Wars community. Yeah, I mean, really, the, the legacy of, of the Insider, especially uh, 90s to early 2000s, cannot be overstated with just the not only information and how Star Wars was approached, uh, but also the collectibles and the artists and the talent that really cultivated there. I feel like with all the people that I've interviewed, people that I reach out to, most of that is based with two things. One, me watching the documentaries uh, growing up, and then two, 
reading about these people in the insider and really now i'm like okay who can i reach out to and i just leaf through my old insiders i'm like oh like ken ralston yes i should reach <laughs> out to him right and, and seeing uh, all these people that you know even now maybe don't get as much credit as they they used to and it, it was always nice seeing seeing them spotlighted for sure oh totally yeah i mean it's like like you just said ken ralston i hadn't thought of him for for ages and but yeah he was a great guy and i got to meet him many times and we had some wonderful uh, interviews with him and he was one of the main guys at ILM and there's so many uh, people that you know were were working back then that today you just don't hear about anymore but that uh, stands to reason they've all either retired moved on to other things and there's a new a new team working on Star Wars now you know and who that team is coming down the line I mean we you know we all know the announcements for the new movies and stuff and and the Mandalorian which I think is one of is one, is the best thing that they've been doing for Star Wars right now that and that and this last season of Clone Wars I mean that has so blown me away it is such a beautiful amazing oh animated show and uh it is uh, a real compliment to the people who are working on that that uh, it's it's turned out so good and they ended it with such a, an amazing four arc episodes yeah I really 100 percent, and, and that that brings up a great segue to your connection to some of those people and your work with her universe yeah uh, especially as it was starting off really again kind of redefined a part of, of star wars fandom and a part of star wars collecting and, and how people approach fandom um maybe talk a little bit about your work with with ashley and bringing this brand that now is almost synonymous with star wars apparel yeah no i uh i um i worked with ashley for about 10 years on her universe she approached me um um, I don't know about I think about eight six eight months before the company launched and uh, I met her husband uh, was a professional baseball player played for the San Diego Padres at that time and they came to Denver mm -hmm. to play um, the Colorado Rockies our team here and so um, she came with her husband and I met her down at a hotel in uh, downtown Denver and she did a whole slide presentation showed me everything that she was working on and what she wanted to do for her universe. And uh, so uh, I was like enamored. I thought this is really cool, Ashley. And so um, we struck a deal and I went to work with her and helped her launch it and helped her market it and promote it and gave her ideas for products and such. And um, she is um, such a talented person. I mean, she, between coming up with these concepts and um, and her acting and her public speaking and now her writing and um, I, Ashley Eckstein is probably one of the finest people I've ever met in my life. And, uh, she is a Sokotano in so many ways. I can't even begin to tell you how, you know, over those 10 years, I got to know Ashley very well and her and her husband both. And, um, you know, I talked to her every single day and as she was, you know, working on these episodes of Clone Wars and developing the character of Ahsoka, it's just, she was so intimate with that character that, you know, I really got to love the character because I knew who Ashley was and, I got to see how she was helping to develop it, and uh, I, you know, that I think has made me even appreciate Clone Wars even more because I got that kind of intimate behind-the-scenes look, especially at what now is arguably one of the most popular Star Wars characters of all time, and that's Ahsoka Tano. But right. yeah, Ashley's, right. you know, her her work on her universe is just amazing, and uh, you know, she has produced so many cool, you know, Star Wars. Um, fashions for women out there for Star Wars and one of my favorites of all time was her lightsaber skirt you know the skirt that has all these different colored lightsabers going down it that thing was a huge massive hit and it got you know covered in uh, magazines and websites all over the world and uh, she's just uh, she's an amazing human being and her universe is um, 
an amazing company and I'm proud to work with it. And I still work with, I'm, I'm planning on doing some personal projects with Ashley here pretty soon. So um, I still talk to her all the time. I just had a long chat with her about two weeks ago, in fact. You brought up Ahsoka as a character and my fiance and I have been rewatching Clone Wars. I've been rewatching it in the lead up to, to the, the finale and she had never seen it before and kind of was just tuning in throughout the episodes. And, and then I didn't really even realize it, that she was becoming more and more and more invested into the show, especially with the character of Ahsoka. And then we've kind of gone on and watched Rebels and just seeing kind of this attachment to the character over again from 10 years before uh, really has made me appreciate it even more than I already did. So really, uh, really cannot well, it, overstate again how it important is. that character. And, yeah. and I've been, it's been really rewarding to watch because in the very beginning when the Clone Wars film came out, you know, there was a lot of, people that didn't like Ahsoka and then there were people kind of griping about her and right. you know so to have watched and you know and Ashley that you know really hurt Ashley you know I mean she really wanted people to love Ahsoka and then to watch this this change over the course of the seasons and to see how Ashley had a big part in influencing that and helping to develop the character and um, you know and then and over those years you know I mean I, I got to see firsthand the character developing and how it got became more popular and and then you know to, to to where it is today you know that she's literally you know one of the most popular if not the most popular female character now uh, ever on in Star Wars and I, I I'm just I'm just so pleased that Ashley that I got to work with Ashley and get to know her and and see how she developed that character because it's it really is an amazing journey to have watched yeah, really. Well, let's talk about what you're you're doing now, which is sort of similar, but Savaha yeah. is uh, an interesting new clothing line and apparel line as well. Maybe talk a little bit about that and how people can can get involved and check it out for themselves. Yeah, I'm really proud of the the of Savaha. It's a uh, theme themed fashion brand for for women and girls, and they, they do have unisex designs, so they're stuff for guys there too. Um, you know, um, um, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. You know, um, it used to be STEM. Now it's steam because they added art into the whole thing. You know, it's just, I mean, uh, uh, Jaya Ayer, who is the um, founder of Spaha, um, used to work for ThinkGeek and went off and launched her own company. Um, and it, her story is not so much unlike Ashley's in her universe. It's very similar. Um, and uh, now today it has an enormously um, large and, and loyal following. Um, and she does all kinds of just amazingly cool pieces you know that deal with science and astronomy and space and you you name it across the board technology um it's uh, so many cool things that are out there um in the fashion world with spaha now um and and if anybody wants to check it out they can find it at spaha which is s-v-a-h-a-u-s-a.com and they can go see the website and see all these amazing steam themed fashions um that uh, we just came out with a new lunch bag that's got all the female astronauts on it. Um, it's extremely cool. And Ashley and Jaya know each other extremely well, um, have worked together before. And uh, Ashley is a fan of Jaya's, and Jaya is a big fan of Ashley. It's kind of cool to see some of the fans of this type of stuff. No, really, really cool. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well so people can check it out. And it's really cool that you're still so involved with the fan community and, and so involved with kind of blazing these new trails for it. So, uh, Mr. Madsen, I appreciate the time. I appreciate all you've done. I appreciate all the, the back issues of Insider I have in front of me right now for research. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, I've enjoyed it, Brandon. You're a good interviewer and uh, it's been a fun chat. And 
send me a link when uh, when you have this up, and I'll uh, I'll share it on some of my social as well. All right, perfect. I appreciate it. Thank you again. All right, you have a good one. It really was an honor to have Mr. Madsen on the show, if only to thank him profusely for the Star Wars Insider articles that are still some of the best, most comprehensive resources out there. Check out his newest venture, Svaha, filled with some incredibly cool clothes and apparel at svaha.usa.com. And as always, it is so appreciated if you can leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps so much, somehow. But until next time, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.